0: And welcome to WNHH Radio's Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tickets. Mayor Monday, happy third week of spring. <laughs> and nobody makes it warmer in the studio than Mayor Tony Harp will be heating up this hour with Mayor Monday, her weekly checkup on what she and we are up to in the Elm City. If you have a question for the mayor, feel free to pop it to us via Facebook Live. We've grandfathered Bob on. He gets the call. Go to New Haven Facebook, New Haven Independent Facebook page. You'll see the video right there. You can pop a question if you'd like, and Harry Droz, our station manager, will zip it right to us. Thanks, Gateway Community College, Bertram Moses, PC, for providing financial support for today's program. Good morning, Mayor Hart. You made it through the snowstorm.
1: Good morning. It's great to be here. Yeah, more of a storm than we didn't predict. That's right. So, how, what's
0: what's your faith in our forecasters now? The last two nor'easters had a total of about an inch of snow, and I look—we're looking like four to six today, aren't we? It looks
1: that way, yeah. Although you know, it's melted, which is good on and, that street. It's supposed
0: to be the 40s later today. I mean, it never got to 32 on the ground, which I always feel is a ripoff. I feel we get a rebate, you know. If it's if it's might be cold enough up there to snow, but if it's over 32, I thought we would get to have just rain.
1: I I thought so too until this year.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I know. <laughs> I, I was grumpy until I got on the bus cause it was, and it was a little too slippery to walk. And I just had to admit, it still is so beautiful. It's I mean, New Haven just looked amazing in the snow today. Edgewood Park and the, yeah. the trees. And the, yeah.
1: It's really beautiful. Um, you know, we are a beautiful city and we forget about how, how lovely our trees look. They look like they're flocked, right? Yeah. Yeah, and
0: especially <laughs> with the snow on them. Yeah. They're so animate. And then, uh, so what happened with uh, Public Works Day? So the last two weeks we were geared up for huge storms that never came, because they were off by like an inch on a map of where the where the cold front would be. what What is it looking like today? Do we have plows out on the road?
1: I, I believe that we do, but, you know, uh, they're not that needed because um, the the streets are warm, actually, and the snow's melted
0: on yeah. the streets. And, so, and did we have school today, as usual?
1: Yes, I think there was a two-hour delay.
0: Yeah, we just couldn't have any more snow days. They'd be going to snow school into August at this point, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I remember those days. I wouldn't have been too sad <laughs> as the mom. <laughs> I remember when the
0: guy used to announce at the fund rate the closings on w, Eli Ron Romer, Jerry Boldina, the old um, principal of West of Edgewood, said he used to buy him drinks at a, at the bar to thank him for all the snow days he announced. <laughs> so how was your easter it was easter weekend
1: it was good it Tell was me really about good um, well you know i went to uh, mount calvary revival center they had um church at career high school so there was a, a large amount of people and they recorded um uh, music for an album it was it was quite something oh, man, I'm sorry
0: we missed this now what's mount calvary which church is that
1: it's right over on legion avenue um, oh, it so
0: one of the, the like one of the surviving blocks from urban Noodles, like Cinderblock or something in front. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like see that, that one. Yep, yep,
1: yep. And um, it was uh, it, it was phenomenal. The music w- was heavenly, and that's it your so
0: favorite fun part, fun. right, of church? It is, yeah. Yeah, My, my favorite part is still too. Yeah, is <laughs> this music? I feel that gets me the most uplifted. It does. So you were in a large room then. You were at a career.
1: Yeah, we were in the uh, auditorium at Career. Yeah, it was really very nice.
0: And uh, it must be hard to film it there because it's so dark. I guess unless they have really great equipment.
1: I think they had uh, good equipment, and you know they were on stage, and so they had the stage lights.
0: And that's where you usually get your get inaugurated. Yep. But you were in the audience.
1: I was in the audience. This
0: and time. I and what was there? Was there a message at all of the you know, preaching?
1: It's, uh, just uh, God's grace, and um, and 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 how that uh, um, that we should all be witness for that.
0: I had went to wonderful seder's for Passover at my daughter's oh, daughter-in-law's. So they do great seder's. My daughter and daughter-in-law up in um, up in Northampton.
1: I just love the seder's too. Yeah. They're they're so much fun. I mean, just the, sort of the ritual eating.
0: Yeah, and no, the kind of conversation, and the singing. And there were little kids there who got to sing their Passover songs. Oh, and nice. Went to one in the morning, both nights, and uh, oh. and the uh, one interesting thing was a, a Christian woman there who talked about the Pentecost because in Passover. Part of what we lead up to is 50 days from now, a holiday most people haven't heard of called Shavuot. Mm-hmm. Even though it's considered a much more serious holiday under the law than, let's say, Hanukkah or Purim. We actually mm-hmm. don't work on Shavuot. And that's supposedly when they, not, they came out of Egypt, the Jews allegedly, and Passover. And then 50 days later, you get the Torah given from Mount Sinai. On, mm-hmm. on the, so we were talking about the Pentecost because it's very parallel. Pa- Easter and Passover usually come around the same time because mm-hmm. Jesus was at a Seder, you know, his last supper. And then you also have Pentecost. That means 50. I don't know if you do. I mean, I know different denominations do it differently. And we learned for the first time Seder about how the two holidays are linked. I never heard about Pentecost, about how apparently all the Jesus disciples were speaking in tongues and inspired by Jesus and then sent out in different languages to preach the word. Mm -hmm. So it is very similar to Shavuot of being given the Ten Commandments and the code by which to live and then go out and live by the same code. And Annie was telling me she was friendly with the minister in Ithaca and she lived there that who said that that's the one holiday Hallmark hadn't discovered. So no one talks about Pentecost, and no one talks about Shavuot. These are not commercialized holidays. And they, she felt that it kind of retains its religious power, and you could serve as a real religious, hadn't gotten secular. The, the, are you a Baptist, right? a Baptist, yeah. Is Pentecost a holiday for the Baptists?
1: I don't know if you would call it a holiday, but it's something that is recognized,
0: yeah. Do you have any special service or anything like that?
1: Um, you know, I think it's just, it's more the 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 preacher sort of talking about it um, uh, about its uh, its relationship to our lives.
0: So Chavot, we eat cheesecake because I'm <laughs> vegan, but I don't know why that is. I think it has to do with land of milk and honey, oh, okay. dairy products. But yeah, that's the big thing is the cheesecake. You stay up all night and study, and you eat cheesecake.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: So the great, great religious traditions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, I, we have Bob on the air. Bob, <laughs> you're on with Mayor. Tony Harp on Mayor Monday. How, how was your Easter, buddy?
2: Oh, it was very good. Went out with the family to uh, brunch. Okay. Oh, nice. actually in West Haven at Apps.
1: Okay. Oh, they they're very good. Yeah.
2: Yes, they are very good.
1: Was there an Easter special? Um, but,
2: but I have a couple of questions. Okay. Um, one is a is a, like a state national issue. Uh, but my first question is um, the death of Winnie Mandela, Mayor. Um,
0: oh i wasn't going to touch that one okay you brought it up
2: well i was wondering if she had a comment (laughs) yeah
1: well i know that she's um was very inspirational particularly to to women across the world um uh and so we all mourn her death okay i'm not going to push that one (laughs) (laughs) i don't think you have to be in the
0: hot seat about that one bob what else you got
2: but yes, I had one more question, and it's kind of like a hot button topic question. Um, it's about a uh, congresswoman, uh, Elizabeth. Oh, yes,
0: that was interesting.
2: Uh, are you calling uh, for her to resign, uh, Mayor, like uh, Martin Looney did? No, I'm and not. Others. I'm.
1: I'm, I'm not. Um, I. I'm going to remain um, neutral on that issue. I know that uh, she has been uh, a remarkable. Congresswoman for that district, and uh, I would trust her good judgment and that of her constituents to make that ultimate decision. Just
0: so our listeners know what Bob and and Mayor Harper are talking about, Elizabeth Estes, who was one of the most outspoken voices in Congress to hold people accountable for allowing sexual harassment to take place in their workplaces, turns out, by her own admission, to have allowed a chief of staff to remain on the job for months after having threatened to kill Another staff member with whom he had had a sexual affair, and um, and uh, she's now taking a lot of heat from that. And I, I wasn't going to bring that up either. I'm kind of glad Bob did because I was actually shocked that well, may that Senator Looney
2: did him also for a job. Too,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a promise. horrific case. Let's just deal with that. I was shocked, Mayor, Mayor, that Senator Looney did the statement. Not because I think it's right or wrong to do that. Just that members of Congress are standing back and. They haven't issued statements in other cases like this. Like you don't get, he, they, there was no state senate or local mayor statement about Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. or about Donald Trump and the model. And again, I'm not taking a stand on this. This is just a fascinating story. It kind of blew me away. But but I, I was so interested. Why do you think the state senators took a uh, stand on this
1: one? I have no idea. I really don't. And
0: again, I'm not saying pro O'Connor, con. I'm not criticizing them for it. I don't think it's up to everybody in the United States to take a stand every time somebody's. Allow something horrible to happen. This is a learning curve. And I'm not... Then again, Democrats don't want to be accused of being easier. Some people felt Democrats went too quickly to judgment on Al Franken because he's one of their own to show they weren't going to be hypocritical and also going after Republicans, whereas Republicans happily were still standing behind Roy Moore and Donald Trump and people done horrible things. It's a tough question it about when you take a stand. And, yeah. uh, and, and how question, you take Bob. a stand
1: and... You know, in all honesty, it's Congress. A lot of it has to do with Congress rules. Uh, frankly, you know, I I don't think it's appropriate for me as mayor to get in the middle of it. I don't know that much about it.
0: And it's interesting. So mayor, hey, things... what
2: if what if so, if somebody was being sexually harassed or harassed alone in your in your office or any other office in the city? What could you do about it? And I'll listen to your response.
0: Thank you, Bob. An excellent question. Yep.
1: Thank you. If, uh, if someone were sexually harassed, who had power in my administration and the other person worked in my administration, then, uh, and, and people came to me, uh, who were being harassed and, uh, then I, I would certainly do something about it. Um, and that's all I can say, you know, like, um, it hasn't happened so far. So, you know, you, you, Thank you never God. know, but you know, thank, <laughs> thank God. I mean, that's the one thing when
0: you're running an organization, you can have very deeply held beliefs, and the mores can change so fast in society. And they've changed in a good way. I think you and I would agree about that. Yeah. But boy, has the needle moved fast about what you have to resign for. And and I think SDE is going to have to resign in the end. I mean, the going to be too great because she was a leading voice that this Congress should change its rules and not allow this stuff. But boy, does it happen fast when you have no idea... How you know when you're dealing with something the way it's been dealt with for a long time, and you still have convictions about an issue, then the world expects it to change faster. Which, again, is a good thing. Whether it was you know, for civil rights, you know, sexual harassment, but there are a lot of casualties along the way.
1: Oh, there are. There are a lot of casualties, and you know, I, um, I mean, I think ultimately the person left, right, and uh, she. So. So it may have taken a while. And you know, the other thing that people don't realize when you're an administrator is that you everybody has rights.
0: You also gotta worry about lawsuits. Yes. I know one the one reason I would never want your job, I'd never want to work in government, is that and this is completely hypocritical on my point, I believe so deeply in the right to organize and need for unions and strong unions. And I would hate to manage in that environment when because of needed protections for unions, they're also tie your hands when you need to make good decisions fast. That's a price we pay that I think is a good price to pay, but I wouldn't want the job for that. I'm sure Elizabeth Essie was worried about a lawsuit because the one agno- error she has acknowledged here is that she shouldn't have written a recommendation for the guy and not mentioned what happened and not made it public. And again, that's the way we've changed very fast, but I know that happens with recommendations. People are very nervous when something somebody leaves your employee and has done something bad and you kind of work it out so there isn't a fight, there isn't a lawsuit and you have to agree often as an employer. I don't know how much this is in government. I, no, I think yeah, it actually I think I've you seen it happen in government too, to. and that's a shame. So then you feel guilty because there's an unsuspecting person then who's going to hire someone who's done something awful. And my way, I've, way I've kind of dealt with is I often just don't. I just tell someone I don't really want to write you a recommendation because I feel like it is tough that you you can't you are in the you are in the hook a little bit legally if you talk about certain things, which is a shame.
1: It is a shame, and and you know you. you you end up um, working a way for them to leave that often ties your hands later.
0: But but we really, really should talk about performance-based parking because um, (laughs) I got to admit that this is one case where the the bureaucratic phrase to me doesn't seem to tell it. Performance-based parking. You know, the big thing is data and basing people on performance and judging them. That's the name we're using for a very interesting idea Mm -hmm. that you're looking to pilot this summer which is to use real-time information of where people are parking on the street right now. And if a lot of people want to park somewhere that's in high demand, you're gonna charge people more to park there. And then if there's low demand, you're gonna lower the price, which I'm not quite sure why you're doing that since we need the revenue, but we'll get to that. I just revealed a little bias there. Um, (laughs) But overall, the idea is that you have a goal to try to keep 85% of spaces filled at any time. So there's always a 15% vacancy So basically, I'm going to drive downtown or you're going to drive downtown. Should I park? I want to park within two blocks because everyone hates to go to garages for whatever reason. Sometimes we're trying to steer them there because it's a good idea for them to do that. Right. But for policy-wise. But people like to park nearby. So this gives them an extra way if they're good with their phone and they're not looking at their phone while they're driving. They're waiting for the red light or they got a passenger doing it. um, To see where the spaces are full, where they're not. And then you have an incentive to walk a little more. So how's that looking? Do you think you'll get the approval? That you this is something you're asking the board of Alders to let you do, right?
1: Sure, I think that it's something that we can try. Um, I think that's uh, uh, and I think that it's an innovative, interesting way to deal with parking, and it engages, you know, the parkers, so that they are actually players in this whole system, and if they. If they can't get one close, they can go to a garage. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But this helps them figure out if you do want to get something close and maximize parking while also not making you frustrated if you need to run in for five minutes you want to get that street space.
1: Right. Yeah, I think think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea, and I think the engagement is what makes it a a really great idea. So you don't feel like you're victim to, you know, like what if somebody took parking places and they work in a certain area and they just... um, are there for hours at a time, and you can never get a parking right. space.
0: And then, conversely, the plan when you drill down, I guess it's based Seattle's had a lot of success with this plan, is similar to theirs. On some outer line pairs, you might let people park for four hours if they pay for it because they're not going to be hogging somebody else's space.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, a lot of new stuff's happened with parking the way you can like refill the meter from the rest out with your phone. Yeah, we got to get better on our phones. I stink at my phone, even though I edit an online paper, I'm not good at like electronics. but. But most people kind of get it, how to use the app and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. A
1: lot of people do. And they're sitting in a meeting and they look and they're like, okay, now I've got to, I've got to add some more time. <laughs>
0: and the goal is to get the revenue but not to have to ticket them. Right. So uh, so it's very interesting. Um, my, my, my little editorial comment on the way in, which is not about a major part of the plan. And you're also going to lower the price of certain places where there's low demand. Right. Right. And I'm guessing that has to do with trying to show a sense of fairness that we're not instituting this plan as another way to just soak parkers. It's a way to actually make parking work better.
1: I think that it is, and there are some parts of the the city, I think in my discussions, we are going to look at that currently has is metered and that we may want to take some of the meters off. Yeah, that's we, a good idea. Yeah, yeah, if we notice that there really isn't a lot of demand, we're not getting.
0: And plus, you can concentrate your resources on how to, watch the meters rather than pay someone to walk past meters that don't have many people on them. Right. If you have a central area where more people are parking and using the meters. So there's one way that while reading all about the terrible things about Facebook and privacy. This is one way technology is making our lives better.
1: Yeah, I think it is. You know, it's a, it's a mixed bag there. It is a mixed
0: bag. (laughs) Although I was talking about this on Friday. I, I think there's something wrong with me. I'm not upset about Cambridge Analytica. So they went in and with this typical sneaky campaign move, they claimed that this academic researcher wanted info from Facebook and fooled this, hugely powerful corporations don't give them 50 million people's personal data and then they used it to drill down with big data. And even though I agree that campaigns shouldn't work that way, they certainly have historically on both sides of the aisle.
1: Sure,
0: Big data used to narrow... Using big data to narrowly identify voters, we, we applauded that when... Barack Obama did that in 2012, and there was nothing right. wrong with applauding that. He mm-hmm. had all those geeks in the basement who came out every 15 hours to wipe their eyes and look at sunlight and come back and drill down and figure out what TV shows the seven last voters they needed in a swing state were watching at 11 p.m. so they could just advertise there and spend a lot less money. Remember that? That was mm-hmm. that brilliant outcome of 2012. So basically, we're not even sure Cambridge Analytica helped Donald Trump that much with the 50 million people's data they got. Were you worried about this?
1: You know, I think that one of the things that, well, I wouldn't say so much worries me, is that I think that people have got to be aware that oftentimes their opinions uh, are driven by something other than what they think.
0: Yes. (laughs) Or what the facts say.
1: (laughs) Or what the facts say.
0: Okay. The facts say that Aaron Good has a question. (laughs) Okay. This week, it's not a surprise zinger. And thank you, Aaron, for the question and for listening to Mayor Monday on WNHH, 103.5 FM, your home for community radio, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. Aaron Goods said, is the mayor concerned about the U.S. census, including a question on citizenship in 2020 and how that might negatively impact New Haven? Is there a way to mitigate that negative impact? So the backstory, and thank you, Aaron, for pointing that out. The Trump administration is planning to add a question to the census about whether you are here, legally, and you are a citizen of the United States?
1: Um, I am a little, I am concerned about that. I think that's problematic. I think we've got to, one of the things that, that actually made us the second largest city in Connecticut is that people trusted to fill out um, huh. the, um, the census data over the past 20 years. And if we have something that gets people, makes people feel less comfortable filling them out, then we'll lose population. And there's a relationship between our population and the resources that we get from the state and the federal government. So I am concerned about So the about more that. people
0: we can prove live here, the more money we get reimbursed for the work we need to do.
1: Absolutely. And you know, 54%, I know I say this all the time, of our property is tax-exempt, we're... Covering
0: we're, the 18.7 square miles. Yes,
1: <laughs> exactly. And so I don't want to have anything reduce what is already inadequate in terms of getting resources from the state and federal government.
0: So there's an agenda here um, in removing this question. Obviously, it's an anti-immigrant um, federal administration that wants to do this. Do you think the idea is to try to continue this illusion that white people are still going to be majority and it's their country and nobody else is coming in taking over from them quote unquote as they fear to build the Trump base or is it a way to use a hammer to as you point out see fewer resources go to help immigrant populations to have cities that really have the population growth look smaller so that they get less of the pie and the base that elected Donald Trump in rural areas will get more of the pie
1: uh, you know I think that I I think it's the latter. Um, And I I think it's around the distribution of resources and even just a little change across the country for urban areas will be a big change for um, rural areas. So I think that's what it is. And, you know, the interesting thing about race um, is that um, it's very complicated in this country. So I I don't think that that instrument is fine enough to really address race issues.
0: I always wonder how you fill out a form if you're Hispanic. Because if you're Hispanic, you're also white or black. You can be considered that, right? And you get kind of choosing yourself, which is the way it should be. How to identify yourself. How do you get good numbers on that?
1: Well, and I think that's why they came up with the Hispanic de- designation because they couldn't. Um, you know, the way that in, uh, particularly in the Caribbean, they define white is very different than the way that we define white in this country. Uh, if you have an eighth of african-american blood uh, in you here you know then you're black if you have an eighth of white blood in the caribbean you're white so it just it's
0: so interesting <laughs> and plus there is no such thing as white
1: and well not in the, not except used scientifically but const- <laughs> right, yeah. it used as a
0: construct to have yeah. power over other people
1: yeah exactly very so it's very complicated to do that
0: we had a complicated um Debate that's continued to go on on race on the pages of the New Haven Independent. Um, there's, a, there's a New York Times writer, a MacArthur fellow named Nicole Hannah Jones, who's a leading writer on schools and race. She came to New Haven last week and gave a speech about schools and public mm-hmm. education. And she threw a challenge out. She said, Brown versus Board, we're no better off really than we were then. Our schools are segregated. New Haven is pretty true still. Um, and we don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. People have since then reconsidered what are the important goals here. And then um, she said, it, it used to be that we look for Ruby Bridges, who are the, you know, the kids who, the black kids who fearlessly se- desegregated schools in the South. They were the first kids to go in while they were taunted. And they opened the door for more people, and that we thought would bring about change. She says that she thinks change today comes from white liberals who feel, who believe they, they support a more just society and a, and a um, diversity to actually send their kids to majority-minority public schools, traditional public schools. She said, instead of sending your kid to that charter school or that private school or that one school in the neighborhood where all the white kids go, live and send your kids in a neighborhood school, and that's what will improve education for everybody. And she's, she identifies as half white, half black, mm-hmm. which I guess according to both math you brought up would make her black. <laughs> she sends her kid to a Brooklyn school that's a traditional school, and she said she wants them to know that a New York Times writer has a kid in that school, so there's pressure on them to do better. It's funny, I always felt the opposite in New Haven. I always felt like my kids, when they were in a public school, they already knew that there was this mouthy reporter who's a dad, and I felt that was unfair pressure on them. So I never wrote, for many years, I thought there were a lot of things wrong with the schools that I saw there, and I felt I didn't want to write about it because I thought that would unfairly put extra pressure on administrators or teachers or any pressure. I remember my younger daughter, when she did something wrong, I had to be disciplined. They were actually worried that I'd like, write an article and in fact, they were right. I had to say, you know, I'm glad you did that. She shouldn't have brought that Walkman to school or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but do you think um, on those two questions, Nicole Hannah jones is right that, because obviously this is a very sensitive topic. So then the white people get very defensive and say, well, you know, our, my kid's not a social experiment. Then the response is, well, the social experiment, you know, we always send a kid to get a best education. If the system's broken and it's racist and it's bad that it's broken, that doesn't mean I should send my kid to the school where the kid's not going to get a good education. And then the other side says, well, that's part of the education to make a better society.
1: Well, you know, I think that we're looking at the wrong things, in all honesty. I don't think it's necessarily about race. And I'm sure there are some people who are African-Americans who felt that, you know, segregation has really crippled, from an economic point of view, black businesses, particularly in the South.
0: And historically black colleges and universities.
1: And, and you know, my daughters both went to Spelman College they got an outstanding. Um, they got an outstanding education. They were able to go to almost any uh, graduate school that they wanted to go to. Uh, my husband went to to Howard and and got professional degrees there. And even today, uh, the historically black colleges that are more and more white people. By the way, are, are attending. I saw that article. <laughs> you know? That There's one of them that's even majority white.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, that. Uh, I think that what they teach us about all of this is that you have to have strong academics no matter if you want to educate children, no matter their color, uh, no matter their race. And and I think that, um, in all honesty, and I don't want to sound like a, a, a conspiracy theorist. It's okay, but, you're on the radio. <laughs> if you're both a conspiracy theorist on the radio, you get booted but okay. if you're not... But when you look at low ratings at urban areas across the state, across this country, um, it what we see is that the resources to educate kids are just not there, and so and you have to
0: factor into that the higher percentage of low income kids and right. special ed kids, right? Because without those numbers, they do look comparable. It says we spend the money there, but say, but yeah, but you're requiring them to take on, on much greater what? needs.
1: Right. And so look at, um, and you know, and I'm going to get just uh, a lot of people really very unhappy with no this. No matter but, what you <laughs> say in
0: this, people get have. No, it's true. It's a tough stuff.
1: But if you have the right curriculum and if you have the right time on task and you believe that you can actually educate kids and you know what that looks like, then you can do it. It doesn't matter what color the kids are. And, uh, and, and, but we haven't had all of that. Um, First, we haven't had the belief. We have a lot of people who say, if you miss, if you miss educating kids in preschool, then you know, like you can forget it. Uh, you're never going to be able to catch up. Uh, and they've done studies to to show that. So the people aren't wrong. I just think it's the wrong belief system to have. Um, and then no one is looking at the curriculum that we're teaching our kids and the time on task. And um, and that's across this country, and it's certainly here. And um, and I think that there need to be higher accountability standards, more time on tasks, and when you do that, then you have outcomes like Amistad High School, which is one of the highest testing in the state. And so, um, and it's all black, so and Hispanic. I think there are a few Hispanic kids, maybe a few kids that are are majority European um, ancestry. So you know this whole idea—it's just that oftentimes when you have um, white parents, they're going to demand more for their kids, and they're going to make sure that the resources are there. And um, it's very complicated in places like this, where, where in you know like New Haven, Hartford, Bridgeport, Waterbury, um, none of these cities are big enough to have the resources to put into our education system so that they can have longer school days so that they can make sure that their curriculums are adequate. But when you have an adequate curriculum, there's enough time on task, um, you can move people. And we've seen that uh, across the country. So is there any places. alternative
0: then? We talked about this last week. I think seem to think remember that you agreed with this. Is there any alternative to addressing issues like educational parity, to having all neighborhood schools be good enough that people consider that an option.
1: Well, I think that's what we really have to move toward, but we've got to make sure that there are the resources to make them good enough. Yeah. And that's what we have had a terrible time doing. And, and in this state, um, frankly, because of the economic downturn that we've just haven't, uh, we haven't moved away from. We're not, we don't have the same kind of resource, uh, let alone not having the appropriate. Or we had an will. end of a
0: session, two legislations, two legislative sessions ago, mm-hmm. where the budget was passed by moving money from Bridgeport to Westport.
1: And you know, support for a budget. Yeah, and and that uh, we allow this system that says that every one of our 169 towns needs to be uh, competitive with the other one, and you send your legislatures up to Hartford to compete for this this money, when in fact. Um, we're not all the same. We don't all have the same ability to raise revenue for the things that we need to do in our community, not the least of which is to educate our children. And so when you have um, zoning laws that make it difficult uh, for everybody to live wherever they want to live in our state, um, the exclusionary zoning, when you have only poor people, then you have a limited ability in certain communities and a limited ability to raise revenue, then, of course, every single thing that you do, if you can't get resources from somewhere other than your property tax, other than the state, it lags behind those who can. And then you got to go and compete for those same resources with those same people that can actually do more on behalf of their kids. It's grossly unfair.
0: Mayor Harp, you brought up charter schools. In the article Chris Peake wrote about her speech, he noted that the most segregated schools some cases are charter schools. You mentioned Amstad High is all black and brown and most people who teach there and run it are white but then you look at Booker T. Washington Academy which also has been a big success and academically that's run by black people and all the kids pretty much are black and brown Um, but then you have Common Ground High School and um, one other charter that are more of the nonprofit model that you know not hedge fund funded that are in fact quite integrated. Is integration important? Uh, first of all, what they would say is they don't have more money. They're able to get the success. Is that because they don't have to take on special ed or some of the other burdens on the school system?
1: Well, I know there are those that say that they that that they don't. They say that they do. Uh, but often uh, what our folks in New Haven Public Schools have, have told us is that a lot of times... Um, it may not even be the special ed kids, but sometimes the behavior problems
0: that... Who bring down your average on the test scores, they <laughs> end up being sent back to the New Haven school.
1: Yeah, they, you know, they do. And that, you know, even with the, um, and uh, our magnets, that a lot of the problem people in our suburban schools, they end up coming to New Haven. Um, and so, um, so we end up having to shoulder more of our share of, 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 Young people that are troubled and and need special help, I think we're happy to do it. I I basically have said, look, we are happy to do it in New Haven. Just give us the resources to
0: mm-hmm. do it. So you're saying money's more important than race? Is brown boys you- is it,
1: It's it's money and it's also um, making sure that you have adequate um, tools mm-hmm. and adequate cu- curriculum. curriculum. Uh, uh, and good and principles. And t- uh, good principles. Time on task is another tool. That you know, our school days are too short for what mm. we have to overcome. Yeah.
0: So there are a number that's of the tools. farming model when people were let out to work in the fields.
1: Yeah. I mean, when was the last time somebody left New Haven public schools to work <laughs> in the field? I don't know. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, but we're so used to doing things that way um, that that's the way that we've always done them, and we feel that's the way they should always be done. But it doesn't work, and so, but in the meantime, since that's what we can do politically. We have to find workarounds,
0: and does that mean Brown versus Board and uh, Chef were wrong that the fundamental issue no. is not segregation?
1: No, I think that I think that you had to start somewhere, and that was an obvious place to start. But as we become, it's an iterative process. As we learn more and more about it, we know that that is not the only thing that can solve the problem, and that is not the only thing um, that um, will move our country forward, because this has become a country issue. It is an issue for moving our state forward. And so we know that given the zoning that occurs and town lines, that we're not going to solve the problem, frankly, by integration, uh, then there's got to be another way to solve the problem because we've got to have a highly educated workforce. People have got to be educated in order to take care of themselves and their families into the future. And as we both talk about, parking being online and other kinds of things. You have to have skills to live in the world that we live in. And so we've got to make sure that people are prepared for that. And so... we have got to
0: teach your parents how to use the apps so they can find the parking space.
1: And, you know, there are programs that teach <laughs> our young people, uh, people's parents, how to use uh, uh, the information technology, yeah, how to that. control it. <laughs> I mean, those are all really important. And so uh, I, I, I say that to say that uh, as our, the world moves, as we're thinking through problems of the 1950s, uh, here we are in 2018, and the answers have got to be different. We didn't totally solve the 1950s issues, and we have got to solve the problems of today by dealing with them as best we can.
0: And is Nicole uh, Hannah Jones correct that white middle class parents should be sending their should make a point of sending their kids to places like Hill Central and Troop?
1: You know, I don't think that it hurts to do that, um, in all honesty, but I, I don't know that that solves a problem.
0: All right. But let's remind people, we're solving problems here on Mayor Monday Your home at WNHH-FM, your home for community, 103.5 FM, live streams at New Haven and Boy, is that a tough subject. And people get so defensive. I know I did, like when my reporter told me what Angley was writing, he said, what a great story. And the first three minutes, I was the defensive white liberal parent. Then I said, I think she's right. <laughs> but I also agree with you. It's a lot more complicated and there's more to do with that. I mean, these oh, are tough absolutely. issues. There
1: are, just there are not enough white liberals to do that, that live in town. But also, I'm not <laughs> sure that they, saw,
0: as you say, I don't think that solves like having, that's actually better for the white kid to be able to be in the diverse environment. They I get their diversity so. education. I don't know how much that helps the black.
1: And people. I don't know if, if I'm pronouncing his name right, but Aaron Traveris, I don't know. the. Um, yeah, he
0: was one of the only two white kids at Hill House back in the day when he went there.
1: And it gave him, I think it's.
0: Yeah, he benefited greatly.
1: Absolutely, and he has, hes a phenomenal thinker, uh, creative personality that is impacting our world. Because it's got to be partially because of that. Experience. But did that
0: help Hill House and the kids of the Hill House that Aaron Jeffers went there? Uh, Nothing think, negative, but I that- think
1: that it might have some people. You know, I think it's important for for white people to understand that black people are just people like they are, and it it's also under- important for black people to understand the same thing. And so to the degree that, and for, you know, all of the races to, to get together and to learn that we're just one humanity and, you know, the way that we're set up is we all think that we're so radically different, but it it really would make a a difference for young people who then come to our city to work, who are white. It would be nice for them to know and have a realistic view of the people that they're going to interact with. Like a rest, Yeah.
0: It's not for a motor vehicle. <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: you 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 will know. Gee, this is just this is like Joe, who I went to school with. I understand where he's coming from.
0: So, bottom I, line, integration's a good goal. It's not the be all or end all, even necessarily no. the number one issue in making the schools better.
1: I don't think so. I think there are other things that are are as important, if not more important.
0: That's a great subject. Thanks for uh, you've obviously thought about this for decades and worked on it.
1: So well, I, I you know I your think your it's quiver. I think it's important to think about. I think it's probably the biggest test that our society will have if we're going to move forward. We've got to be smart enough to outsmart uh, those people who can fool us online because they have our email address. You know, that's so true.
0: (laughs) Oh, you know, that's so true. And fake news. I always felt like I wasn't as scared as maybe I should be or everyone was about this Russian invasion and fake news because I felt we always had the National Enquirer and things like that. It's much more intense now the opportunities to get good information are also much more available. The lower barriers of entry is doing good journalism on the web. The New York times has millions more readers than ever did. And it really is about an educated populace that has the ability to find good information and be good citizens, that that's so much more important than blocking efforts to fool people who are easily fooled anyway.
1: Right. I think, I think we, if we're going to have a democracy, we've got to have an an, an educated populace.
0: All right. And if we're going to have, um, uh, a healthy population need health clinics. So one of your proposals in the new budget ship that was a segue to the budget. And we've been talking about every aspect of the budgets at the hearings. Um, got the pitchfork brigades and everybody out. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the ideas was to expand the health clinic, the public health clinic on Meadow Street from the city health department. The idea being that if we invest a little now to have more hours at, um, is it an emergency? You can go there for urgent care. Urgent or yeah. care. That just like the suburbs have urgent care centers, that that will produce um, income in, in, Later years, a good investment. Mm-hmm. It got some fe- criticism last week when this came up at a public hearing for the budget. The uh, we published the projections, and some of the critiques came that it shows a a four time, fourfold increase in demand if we expand the hours, but no increase in budget for it.
1: Yeah, I think that ultimately uh, the thought is that you you build it and then they come, and so um, the that you would need the staff that you need. To start it.
0: Oh, so for day one, you're going to have the increased staff. So it's not that you're not increasing the staff, you're increasing them up front to up handle front, the load. Yeah. Right. So that is an increase from the previous year. Right. But you're just not going to increase it four years. Okay. Yeah. Got that answer. Thank you. Is there anything else about the budget I wanted to ask you and see anything? Oh, the FRAC report. So FRAC is a committee that was started in 2009 to be independent watchdogs, Includes someone who used to be at Enron. Mm-hmm. is on that and never apologized for that. But it was quite kind of interesting. <laughs> He's one of the members of that committee. He says he basically knows how dirty budgeting works. He saw it on the inside. So they're claiming that, they're, that, that the assumptions on the proposed budget downplay the real costs and that we would really need a 22%, not 11% tax increase to pay for all that we're doing and that the bar, increasing our level of borrowing is dangerous. Uh, Any thoughts on that report?
1: Well, you know, I think that uh, certainly we'll keep what they have to say in mind. Um, one of the things that we are trying to do, and I think they're talking about the pension obligation bonds. Um, you know, we're going to take a look at at um, whether or not um, they're right. Um, we're gonna. We met with the leaders of the board of alders. They asked us to see if there was another way for us to stabilize. Our pension costs because they are are very unpredictable um, and constantly going up, and uh, w- we are pretty sure that it, there aren't a lot of other ways to do that. Uh, but we are going to look into it, um, and um, ultimately, when we look at government over our government over the past um, ten years. Our costs have gone down compared to other cities our size. And uh, we, when we look at our staff, that we're down 40 to 50% in almost every department except police and fire. And the reason that we're not in those those um, jobs, one, they're public safety jobs. We're really required to do that. Our, our first job is to keep people safe. But secondly... Um, particularly in fire that if we don't have adequate staff and we hadn't had it for many years, then it costs us more in overtime. So um, we think that we can manage the budget um, as we proposed it with the 11%. Would we be able to do more at 22% increase? But could we look, we're going to have a hard enough time getting a, a, an eleven percent tax I'm wondering increase.
0: do you get a sense the board of Os might come back and say you're going to need to cut a few more million dollars out of here just so they could say they chopped down that oh, request
1: absolutely they are, they already told us they're working on cuts
0: any any big cuts jump out at you as possible is advisable? Not,
1: I mean we don't really see it uh, to be honest with you we um we did all we could to bring it down to what we thought was reasonable for us to continue to be a modern city that can provide services to the residents of the city of New Haven, you know, nobody wants to pay extra taxes, but they don't want their parks overgrown. They want to be able to get the snow off the streets when it snows. They want to be able to get the the potholes fixed. They want to be able to get the lights done in their communities. And so, you know, that's what it takes to do this basic stuff. We're not really, we don't have a frills um city. We're you know we're pretty much no frills. We're you know, ultimately um we have reduced government m- much more so than any of the other cities have in the state. And, um, and maybe that was a mistake. Maybe, uh, taxes should have gone up, you know, you know like it's not a
0: mistake. You want to, or, you want to be in a stronger position, not need the bailout.
1: Yeah. Well, I, d- I certainly don't want to be like Hartford and right. and have to give up. You'd rather the be in a position where people are
0: mad that when you have to raise taxes, than be in a position where you're helpless and you're a creature of the state.
1: That's, I absolutely believe that way, but I'm, you know, I'm criticized for it. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. There's no free lunch, but if you park your bike at the Stetson library, you do get visions of big lunches. (laughs) The McDonald's, whatever meal they're selling these days. There was a really interesting debate last week that we did the bike share program and McDonald's sponsors it because we don't have money. We don't have money to pay the bike share Mm -hmm. ourselves. We want government. Run, But we don't want to have to raise taxes to do something like bike share, which is a good program. Tom Breen wrote a story last week about riding his bike all week with a bike share bike and whether you're able to do it. He found out you are. and He shared a few little secrets he learned along the way to make it work. So one of the interesting debates, and I would call it an only in New Haven or maybe an only in New Haven or Burlington, Vermont debate which is that um, people weren't happy that McDonald's sponsored it. You know, it was Mm -hmm. kind of jarring. You go to these uh, bike share outlets and there's the big McDonald's poster. The response is, we have to run this thing. It costs money. If we're not going to raise your taxes, we're going to get an ad. It turned out the agreement was that they get an average of one ad at every, one big poster at every station. But since certain stations can't have them because they're in parks, they get to have two. They get to supersize at some other locations. So they wanted to go double at Stetson. And the city planning commission said, hold off. Before you do that, this seems kind of extreme. The answer back from the city was, you know, actually, we might not need your approval for this. It kind of might be in the contract, but we'll take another look at it. So People say, you know, we want to fight obesity. We have things like bike share. Do We really want kids going to the library. And every five steps they take, they have visions of Big Macs in their head. Other people say, look, the McDonald's sponsored the Olympics. Coke sponsors things. You know, we're not going to have advertisements for crack or prostitution or, you know, but we do have the army and that maybe in the real world, advertising is part of the landscape and people exaggerate the impact. And other people say we have control over our built environment and we don't want to have the wrong messages when we're fighting diabetes among people of color or obesity. How did you feel about that whole thing?
1: Well, you know, I think that, um, certainly I supported it because we have bike share, which I, I, I think is, is, um, um, a really innovative way for people to get around town, um, since we haven't really fixed our bus system yet. You know, it's a it's a very innovative way to sort of um, address that. And in all honesty, what I I I I looked at the signs. They don't bother me because we have signs every all over our town. Um, and the really interesting thing about McDonald's is that if we again, it's teaching people about what's good for their bodies you can go into McDonald's and get something that is positive for you. You don't have to get that Big Mac or that Coke. You can get a salad, you know. So a lot of it is how we teach people. And, you know, like in our community, people are going to go to McDonald's anyway. They already have a critical mass of people that keep, I don't know, we must have five of those uh, McDonald's uh, restaurants in our town. Um, I just think it's kind of a specious issue.
0: All right. You don't have to be embarrassed by that. There are other people who feel the way you do too. I love New Havens because this is the kind of place where we argue about things like that. We really have the ideal in our mind of the way things should work. And some people would say sometimes the real world doesn't act exactly the way you want the ideals to. Like I'm of the camp that says people are going to drive cars right now even though we wish we didn't have to have garages and spaces for them because we wish everyone walked or took a bike. Other people say it's good to have that ideal because sometimes what you think is impossible is possible and you keep pushing. So what I love about New Haven is that we keep pushing, even if sometimes we look a little bit like a caricature.
1: But we have bike share, and I think that's the thing that we, that we really... That's what kind of
0: brings the humor aspect to it. it yeah. We did bring bike share. Yeah.
1: yeah, and that is really the important thing. Yeah, uh, And th- in all honesty, um, that makes us unique in our state, I believe. So right. I'm really proud of that. I'm proud of our folks who are able to figure out a way to do it without it. Costing the taxpayers money.
0: And are you proud that quietly last week approval was given for the second phase of Randy Salvatore, the developer's project in the hill? Mm -hmm. A stretch of the hill, a bunch of acres that were destroyed in urban renewal, a neighborhood destroyed, and then for decades nothing else was built on it. Since 1988 or 89, the city has tried to have something built there, and only recently did we find a way to make that happen. And now the second phase is already approved and up and going with hundreds of new apartments, two six-story buildings at Lafayette and Congress.
1: Yeah, that's exciting. And you know what? I was talking um, to President Bertolino about how differently millennials and the generations to follow them will be working and why it is that cities like ours um, probably do need this housing, although, you know, frankly, I want to make sure we get more businesses into our community as well. Um, But so I've met so many young people just in the, the last few days that don't go to work every day, they work from home. Or they might go into the office uh, twice a month. And so they wanna be in a vibrant city like ours because this is how they have their social interaction. They don't get it at work like baby boomers used to do.
0: Yeah, word. Uh, (laughs) Elsie Chapman, who has been nothing but an amazing civic volunteer since retiring yeah. in New Haven in 2001 living in Wooster Square right. and now running all these library committees running the Stetson Drive ran the public library board uh last week stepped down after several terms as president of the Worcester Square Association and got mm-hmm. quite a love fest for the work he's done there and uh
1: yeah, she's she's, she's phenomenal. Uh, she's a, a real gift. I'm so glad she decided to come to New Haven.
0: And people felt that way about Jennifer Pugh, who had worked for city government for decades, and mm-hmm. one of those quiet people who really just did the work well every day and never made a big deal about it. And she died tragically on the young side in her 60s. And they did a decorative window for her last week at the library. I haven't seen that yet. How's it look?
1: I haven't seen it either. Unfortunately, I was out of town when they did that. But
0: wasn't she your generation of starting a city government oh, back in the day? Yeah,
1: I used to work with her years ago uh, when I worked for the city.
0: I, when you're a reporter, when somebody like Jennifer Pugh shows up at the hearing to give information or answers your call, your your shoulders just relax because you realize you're just going to get information. Something gets done. There's no games. You mm-hmm. know, like I always felt like I was trusted her a lot. So uh, Mayor Harp, we um. I really enjoyed our, our um, discussion today on schools. We're not going to be able to have that kind of discussion for a couple of weeks because you're going to China. Going to China for our new sister city, China. Right. Mm-hmm. Sounds like an exciting trip you're going with uh, with with um, Taisha Walker, Walker. Myers, mm-hmm. our president of the board, the president of um, of Albertus Magnus College, Mark Camille Yale, and China. Tell us what are the highlights going to be? What are you looking forward to on this trip?
1: Well, you know, we're going to three places. We're going to Beijing, we're going to uh, Chongcha, and we're going to Hong Kong. And in um, Beijing, and Hong Kong in particular, um, we are going to be meeting with uh, among the three c- cities, we're going to be meeting with 12 companies and um, who want to have a um, Northeastern United States uh, physical presence. So we we're hoping to interest them in New Haven or the greater New Haven area. Um, they also, were, some of them have an interest in investing in um, the United States. So there may be an opportunity to do a public-private um, partnership with with uh, some of them. So we're going to have those discussions. But the main reason we're going is to sign the Sister City Agreement with shang Um it is the capital of the Hunan province. So we're going to get some of that wonderful Hunan hot food. And uh, so it should be very interesting for us. Uh, I'm going to lead some of the meetings with businesses, and Taisha is going to lead oh, others when I'm meeting with the chief executive of Hong Kong. Uh, so she'll be wow. going and uh, leading that delegation um, while I'm meeting with the, uh, their chief executive officer there. So should be really very interesting, and we'll have a lot to report.
0: Well, well, and my Amber J., J. Joe, thanks for tuning in and asking a question. We talked about the taxes. We'll get that when Mayor Harp gets back, because we're signing off now. But you will come back. Tell us about the food. Tell we us will. about what Chinese companies are all coming here to invest now. <laughs> what And what are you going to read on the plane? How do you do those long plane rides? What's your strategy?
1: Well, you know what? I am going to read a book. My son gave me a book. I can't remember the name of it. It's a real thick book, though. He said it would be a great thing to
0: read. What kind of book, General?
1: Uh, it's, it's actually um, um, literature. And uh, it's about, uh, from the cover, name I can't remember, but it's about... Uh, female leaders of uh, some african um uh country um
0: wakanda the next generation
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. so uh so you'll come back so we're gonna next week we'll probably replay this show or have somebody else on so uh you're there the president of the board of alders is there usually the president of alders is the mayor when you're out of town so who's gonna be the mayor when you're gone?
1: It's going to be Jeanette Morrison. She's, oh, she's the, the president pro tempore so of Mayor Board of Morrison, Alders. all right. Yeah. So
0: I think the city will be in good hands.
1: I think so, too.
0: And uh, good luck in China. Stay safe. Enjoy some good meals. And bring us back some of that real estate investment trust money or some of those other, um, some of those other Chinese investments. We'll work around the international disputes that our national leaders have. Yes. And we'll have citizen-to-citizen, city-to-city.
1: Diplomacy. Relationship. Absolutely.
0: All right. Well, you'll make us proud, I know. Thanks for coming on the air, Mayor Harp. Right. And that was great discussion in the schools. You know, If you want to read where it all started, Christopher Peake has a great story that's generated conversation mm. on, on the New Haven Independent site of uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones' challenge to New Haven last week. And I will um, publish more of what Mayor Harp said today to keep the conversation going. Uh, thanks to Gateway Community College and Birch Moses PC for providing financial support for today's program. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic Experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the group CD a plea for peace now we know what it's like to be free you just gotta remember to book our flight whether you're going to China Hamden or just (laughs) downtown for a subway sandwich you can book your flight here every day and night on WNHH your home for community radio